Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon. All right. Well, it is great to be here. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. I saw Maureen is out there hosting our online service. I'm so grateful for you, Maureen, and the way you care for our online friends, just like Pastor Efren shared. If you guys are guests or or new to South Hills, we're a family of churches. There are 12 South Hills churches, and and we all kind of work in partnership and in unison, and we're spread out all over Southern California. And then we've got a couple outliers in Idaho and and other places as well. Um, And uh, I'm excited to be back. Like I said, I was gone last Last weekend, um, and uh, I didn't really want to put this in the video because it just felt like it would be like a little bit awkward to, to try and figure out how to explain this, but uh, about a year ago, I had, maybe a year and a half ago, I, I had someone ask me if I would officiate their wedding, and I said, absolutely, because in my mind, you know, a year and a half ago, like, you can plan whatever you want because nothing's going to happen, you know? I mean, uh, it, it was just the middle of, you know, COVID and everything's going on and crazy and all this kind of stuff, and so absolutely, and, and so they're like, great, it's going to be in Cancun. I was like, oh, okay, uh, and, uh, and so they're like, so are you okay going to Cancun? I was like, I guess I'll suffer through it, you know, for the Lord, uh, I'll do anything, you know. Uh, and so uh, as and I, we decided, hey, this will be, a, you know, a, a quick trip. It's, you know, three days. Um, you can come with me. My mom will be able to hang with the kids. It'll be great for us to get away. And um, and so uh, as time started getting closer, as knew that she needed to renew her uh, passports and, um I'll, I'll spare you the details, but uh, she didn't renew it at the appropriate time. And then they have a two-week window where you can call and you can set up an appointment. You can go, and if you have a flight book, they'll turn it around is what they keep telling you. Like, yep, within two weeks, we'll get you an appointment, and we'll get it uh, turned around for you. So, you know, as long as you have your flight information, and like, great. So we get to two weeks. She, she calls that morning and, and, and tries to schedule an appointment, and they said, yeah, uh, we have an appointment available Um, in El Paso, Texas, or uh, in San Jose, California, the day after your flight leaves. We're like, well, that's super helpful. Uh, And so, you guys, last weekend, I went to Cancun by myself. I know. Uh, Yeah. It's hard to feel bad for me. I get that, you know, but, uh, but it was one of these really kind of awkward experiences. I've never had anything like it. I don't know that I ever will have anything like it again. Uh, you show up and you're surrounded by all kinds of people and families vacationing together. And you have to make reservations at this restaurant because it's an all-inclusive thing. So you have to put your name in and, and, and there's people hanging out in pools and playing volleyball. And, and then I was just walking around. It was sunny and 85 degrees, and I was just, 
Uh, it was hilarious and terrible, and it was good to just have some solitude, I suppose. We just talked about that a couple months ago, and so it was good for me to be able to try and intentionally practice what I preach every once in a while. Um, and there are worse places to be alone. I get that. There's people that live in Minnesota. But uh, there was this aspect, there's this time when I went and I sat down uh, at a restaurant, and uh, every time I sat down anywhere, I would get this question, just you? Yeah, just nobody else is coming? No, I know. Every single time I'd go to make a reservation, every time I would get, anywhere I would go, they would be like, just, just one? I was like, yes, just one, you know? And it was, this, you know, fascinating, funny, hilarious. It was a good experience. The couple got married. I made it back alive, all that kind of stuff. But there were these moments where I was just like, man, I could be here with my wife. We could be enjoying this. You know, we could be uh, having our, our best moments. But everything fell apart. You know, everything kind of went south the way that it was supposed to go. And, and so as, as beautiful as it was, there was these moments of frustration. There was these moments of uh, kind of... Not discouragement, but just like, man, this isn't how it's supposed to go. And, and I think we all have those in some ways, maybe not you being stuck in Cancun. Again, I, I get that this is a weird story because you can't really feel bad for me. But, but we all have these moments in some ways of, of, of kind of this, that's not how it's supposed to go. We have the, the frustrating days at work or maybe the frustrating years at work. We've got the relationships that are struggling. We've got the, the kids and, and who we are as parents that maybe we thought we would be a certain way and, and we're not, you know. And, and we experience these moments of pain or frustration, discouragement, things kind of going south. And what I want to talk about today is a little bit of what do we do in those moments? How do we handle those moments? We're in this series talking about how to be happy. And the reality is that a lot of us, we kind of assume incorrect things about how to be happy and what constitutes happiness, what makes happiness. We, we have these struggles, these issues, because we believe happiness comes about in different ways. And, and oftentimes we have in these moments where we have these lows we try and figure out, well, how do I get back high again? What do I do to experience happiness? What do I do to, to overcome this frustration? What's, it's not necessarily a question about what's the best thing for me, um, but it's a question of what is it that I want? What is it that I feel like I deserve in this moment? Everything's falling apart. It was a terrible day. Everything, you know, everything's you know, not what it's supposed to be, so what do I deserve? Uh, sometimes we just kind of tag this as like a, a self-love or a self-care type of thing, but we don't often think about it. For me, I've shared many times about my crutch, which is peanut butter M&Ms. Uh, there is no quantity of peanut butter M&Ms that are too many. Uh, I will eat as many as there are, and the bag, and the bowl, whatever it is, I'll eat all of them. Uh, and it always makes me feel better until later when I'm still stressed out and also my stomach hurts because I had too many peanut butter M&Ms. There's this, this reality of this thing that I go to because I'm unhappy or because I'm angry, because I'm frustrated, because I'm discouraged. I go to this thing and it gives me this kind of immediate sense, this spike of hope or happiness or, oh, it's going to be okay. These M&Ms will love me as I am or whatever the thing is. But inevitably, that wears off and something else comes back. That frustration, that pain, that stress, whatever the thing is. Of course, there's a lot of darker things that we turn to as well than peanut butter M&Ms. I get that that's not the worst thing that we can do to ease our pain. But I think sometimes we think that it's not bad to do something bad in order to feel good when things are bad. We kind of justify this 
you know, if everything went as it was supposed to be, then I wouldn't do it, but it's not, so it's, it's okay. I'm just going to give myself this. I'm going to have this moment. And it works for a moment. But then it wears off and it leaves us even more unhappy. It's not the same thing for all of us. We all have different things that we turn to in those moments to get kind of a hit of pleasure or, or in that search of happiness. Not everybody loves peanut butter M&Ms. Some people love other things. Sometimes there's good things that we turn to and, and sometimes there's bad things that we turn to. Some of us eat in those moments of stress or frustration or, or grief or depression. Some of us shop. Some of us turn to alcohol or smoking. Some of us veg out in front of Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is. Some of us turn to relationships and sex. Some of us turn to uh, scrolling on social media and just trying to kind of zone out and escape that sense of of unhappiness and the assumption or the belief, it's a broken belief that we think that we'll find happiness because of that thing. And a lot of these things, they're not necessarily bad or unhealthy. There's kind of three categories I want us to just be aware of as we talk about this. There's three categories uh, about these types of things that we turn to. The first one uh, are unhealthy because they're categorically unhealthy. These are the things that we would just kind of constitute as, yeah, that's not okay. Chris, a five-pound bag of M&Ms. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, as we, as we turn to, you know, uh, just binge drinking or as we turn to just inappropriate relationships, as we're trying to just to kind of numb that pain, they're, they're inherently self-destructive things. The second thing is when it's excessive. It's too much of a good thing. Too much sugar. Too much Netflix, too much scrolling on your phone. Too we turn to this thing, and it's not necessarily bad on its own, but we kind of just, we, we have no ability to stop ourselves, and it becomes too much. And then the third one are things that are kind of contextually unhealthy. It's not a bad thing to hang out with friends four or five times a week when you're single, but when you have three kids at home, contextually, that's an unhealthy way to spend your time. So there's these different aspects of our lives that we have to start to kind of be aware of. There are some things that, you know, it's a sin, it's wrong, it's bad, and I should steer away from that. But then there's other things that aren't necessarily bad, but just in excess, they're bad. And then there's things that change over time. Over time, we have to do things differently. Chances are whatever it is that you and I do to feel good when things are bad is most likely a way for us to avoid feeling bad. It's not actually for us to address the issue. It's a way for us to just numb the pain. Instead of getting to the root, we just try and numb the pain, the frustration, the sadness. It's a challenge for us. It's an important thing that we start to become aware of this because we put too much stock in these small things to bring us happiness when ultimately they only bring frustration. Whether we want to admit it or not, we, turn to, we tend to focus on these external pleasures to avoid turning our attention inward. Anything to avoid acknowledging what's inside of us. Some of us will do almost anything to avoid those negative feelings, to avoid addressing or looking at or viewing those negative feelings. But the issue is that short-term pleasures that sabotage our long-term goals or values, they always result in unhappiness. 
We turn to these things. We, we sometimes unintentionally turn to these things, and we believe that this is going to kind of alleviate the pain or solve the problems, but ultimately it leaves us feeling emptier and more unhappy. I've had this experience. Uh, I, I spent years and years, probably 20 to 25 years of my life, uh, the first 25, not the last 25 years of my life, just legitimately searching to figure out what is it that can help me feel happy. And when that's your desire, when that's the thing that you long for, when that's what you're trying to accomplish, you'll try almost anything. And what I've realized is that almost all of it doesn't work. There may be a glimpse or a moment of happiness, but inevitably, it ends up leaving you feel broken, low, empty. I, uh, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor, and um, when I was about 17, 18 years old, I actually kind of had this crisis of faith where I knew a lot about the Bible. I knew a lot about Christianity. I could answer all kinds of Bible quizzes. I was in Bible college at the time. And for whatever reason, I got to this place where I realized, I don't know that I believe this anymore. I want to. I wanted to. It wasn't like an exciting thing. Like, oh, I get to do whatever I want now. It was terrifying because my whole life was built around Christianity, church, community, this idea of, of heaven and hell and Jesus, and, and, and everything in my life was built around it. It was terrifying. And so for the first couple months of that journey, I just was really sad. And then I realized, well, if I don't believe this, then I have to figure out what it is that I, I do believe and what it is that I do want. And so I started as a very mature, wise, 18-year-old kid going through a list of things. Okay, well, let me try this, friendships. Let me try relationships. Let me try alcohol. Let me try, you know, all these different things. And all of it really very much, I, I was very aware that I was trying to find something to help me feel that sense of happiness that I had used to felt. What am I going to replace that with since that's gone? And I'll never forget my story. I lived for a few years that way, and, and that journey of trying to find happiness got darker and darker and darker until there was one day I found myself just absolutely broken down, crying in the parking lot of a Starbucks in Norco, California. I mean, is there a rock bottom, more bottom than that? Uh, I, I just absolutely had lost it because in that moment I had realized I had just had a conversation with an acquaintance. It wasn't a friend. It was someone that kind of knew who I was. And they told me that they had heard that I was a terrible person. And there was like this moment where I realized I am because all I care about is finding something to make me feel happy. And when that's all you care about, you forget the people around you. You always put yourself first. You never put anyone first. It is, the, it is the antithesis of what we are called to as followers of Jesus. I had this broken down moment where I realized all of these little things that I turned to to give me a sense, a spike of happiness, a, a sense of hope, a, a glimmer of light. All of these things, they gave me that in a moment, but they ultimately left me feeling at best, just as empty as I did before. We all have this in our life still to this day on some level. It ends up causing pain for us. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7. 
Uh, this is a, a, a scripture that I relate to maybe more than almost any other scripture in the Bible. Romans 7 and verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself. Show of hands. Uh, for, what I want to, uh, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyways. And I think that we all have these types of moments where we know better we know what we should do. We know that this thing isn't going to actually make us feel better. We know that this isn't going to be the path to finding hope or wholeness or happiness. We kind of have these ideas, and it's frustrating and it's discouraging because we feel like we're trapped in this sense of turning to these things. And I think that Paul is essentially saying, I, I, I sometimes feel trapped Paul, an apostle, Paul, someone who is maybe more holy than anybody else we could point to other than Jesus, someone who had all the right answers and, and all the education, and he was this incredible missionary that spread the gospel and all this kind of stuff. Paul feels this same trap that we feel where it's like, man, I, I want these things, but I still just choose other things. And even though I don't want to do th certain things, I do those things. And I think there's this reality for him where he's articulating that he's not living an integrated life. His actions, his behaviors don't match his beliefs and his attitude, what he wants to be, who he wants to be. There's a disintegration that's happening there in that space. I think that we can all relate on some level. These things and what we're going to talk about for the last few minutes that we have here, these things are called coping mechanisms. We all have them. A coping mechanism is anything that we do to alleviate suffering, stress, or sadness in our life. We all have them. And you probably are aware, you probably have like top five coping mechanisms that you would turn to if it's a bad day. You probably know what it is. And maybe it's as, you know, and I'll just say innocent in quotes, maybe it's as innocent as M&M's peanut butter, specifically M&M's, uh, or maybe, you know, for you, you're aware that there are some darker things. There's some harder things. There's probably some coping mechanisms that I have and that you have that you and I aren't even aware of, some things that we do, ways we act towards others, towards ourselves that we're not even aware of, and we do this in order to alleviate suffering, stress, and sadness. And like I said, they don't all have to be unhealthy. They can be both, you know, healthy and unhealthy. You know, there's a coping mechanism. If you're having a stressful day, some people are able to, to recognize that and they say, well, what do I need to do to be able to, to work through this instead of avoid this? And so some people, weirdos, will go for a run. Uh, you know, some people will say, you know what, I need to be around people. Instead of being isolated and alone, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find some people to be around. There's, there's healthy ways of navigating those feelings. And then there's unhealthy ways. Today was stressful, so I charged a bunch of money on my credit card to feel better. And now I'll feel stressed for the next six months trying to pay it off. There's this reality where we can make these choices between healthy and unhealthy. And I think that what Paul is saying is that even for someone that I would say that I would say, you know, if you need to live like anyone, if you need to model your life like anyone, it would be someone like the Apostle Paul. And in fact, he actually said that. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And even he's articulating there's moments where I want to do the right things, but I still just choose these things that aren't actually going to give me what I want. They're not going to do what I want. It's an issue with our unhealthy coping mechanisms. They take our behavior in a direction that 
conflicts with our beliefs. We end up feeling less of who we want to be, not more, just to get a moment or a sense of happiness that quickly fades. So I want to talk through a few things because I think that at best we are all susceptible to these coping mechanisms and at worst we are just blindly unaware of the things that we do to feel better when we are unhappy. And I want to talk about three things that I think that can really help us, three ways that we can kind of combat these negative coping mechanisms. Um, if you guys have, there's notes on your uh, sheets, on your, on your chairs, there's pens, you can use your phones, take pictures, whatever it is, but there's three things I want to talk through. The first one that can help us kind of combat these negative coping mechanisms is gratitude. The second one is community, and the third one's awareness, and, and I'll talk about each of these for a couple minutes. Gratitude is the first one. Gratitude, the sense of being thankful, of, of recognizing what you have. I know it, it might sound like a cliche answer, but there is this aspect of gratitude that Scripture talks about, the Bible talks about over and over again, and so for those of you that are just like, absolutely, if it's in the Bible, I believe it, and for those of you that are not sure if you believe what the Bible says, Guess what? Researchers and psychologists and uh, clinical psycho psychologists, they all agree that gratitude changes your brain in a literal way. It is unending the benefit of gratitude, intentional gratitude, writing a list, five things in the morning and five things at night, saying things out loud. Gratitude changes our heart. It literally changes our mind and our outlook on life. Philippians, Paul is writing this letter in chapter four. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with, everybody say it together, thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. There's this instruction that Paul has. He says, I, I get it. You're going to be anxious about things. Things are going to come up. And so when that starts to rise up inside of you, when you have that day or the month or the year or the COVID season or whatever it is, because we're all dealing with the effects of something, when it starts to rise up, what you do is you turn to prayer and with thanksgiving, with gratitude, you start to acknowledge, here is what I have. Here's what God has provided for me. Here is the goodness that I'm still experiencing in the middle of the chaos of this world. In the middle of the chaos of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, in the middle of the chaos of what's happening at your local gas station, in the middle of the chaos of what's happening in your political offices, and, and whether you lean this way or that way, or, or your homes or your workplaces, wherever it is, there's this invitation, a command really, even to say, I'm going to stop, I'm going to acknowledge the goodness that I have. I have some uh, friends that are out in town visiting, and, uh, and they literally were like, they, they said this phrase is, you guys get to live in a vacation area. I was like, I know. <laughs> it's great. <sighs> but we don't really think about it that way very much, do we? Because there's a list of things that we're frustrated about. But you know what's more frustrating? Shoveling snow. 
in Minnesota. Uh, there, we have so much. And it's not to say that there aren't broken things or bad things or wrong things or issues that we want to address or it's not okay to talk about certain things. But we have so much to be grateful for. And oftentimes we don't acknowledge it because we're so obsessed and focused on the negative things. And when we're focused on the negative things, it feels hopeless. And when it feels hopeless, you do dark things. You do things that don't help. So to combat these negative coping mechanisms, we turn to gratitude, intentional gratitude. We, we submit these prayers to God and we hand over the anxiety and we trade that out for a peace that transcends all understanding. Prayer should be our, our first response, not our last resort. It connects us with God. It helps us remember that it's not just me in the you know, middle of Orange County struggling with all of the chaos and a hopeless situation. You look around the world and what seems to be a hopeless situation, it's, it's not just me. I am a child of God. God is with me. It gives us a sense of confidence and connection when we do what Paul tells us to do and we pause, when we acknowledge what we're grateful for, when we pray, it provides us with a sense of being calm. Because instead of just this reactivity that we have of what we're feeling or seeing or experiencing or hearing, it gives us a chance to actually pause for a second instead of just immediately reacting the way that we want to react. And it also gives us a sense of clarity because instead of acting out of an emotional response and just turning to whatever it is that feels best in that moment, it gives us a pause and a chance to act the way that we choose to act. Gratitude is the first way that we can kind of fight against these negative coping mechanisms. The second one is community. Community is important. Community is a word that's used a lot in a lot of different ways for us. We talk about it. This is a community. Our church is a community. Uh, we have small groups or people are choosing to live in community in a relationship with about you know, 10, 12 other people that are in a small group. They meet during the week. There's sports teams. Guys, I coach baseball now. I don't know if you guys know that. It's a big deal. Um, we're going to get you guys. Uh, we got a bunch of different kids in the, in the and it's very serious. These are six-year-olds. It's a very serious sport and a very serious game. But there's this baseball community all of a sudden. These people that have known each other for years and their kids have played together. There's all kinds of communities. But community is important when it comes to coping mechanisms because when we feel isolated, we feel like we can do things and no one knows. It's a dark space to be in. And we feel like there's things that we can do that we, you know, we, it's, it's not okay to do those things. It's not the best, but nobody knows anyways. I'm on my own. Community is an important thing because when we have the right kind of people around us, it oftentimes prevents us from indulging in things that will destroy us. And it's right kind of people because there's other people that you could have around you that would be like, yeah, you should totally do that. Absolutely, you should spend every dollar that's on the credit card. Yeah, let's just go out tonight and go absolutely just get blitzed. Absolutely, let's just, whatever it is, there's people that will tell you the wrong thing. So finding the right community to help steer, guide, encourage you into the right actions. That's the way it says it in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. There's this encouragement that Paul is writing. It says, encourage each other and build each other up. There's these two different aspects. 
It's this sense of, man, I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to tell you it's going to be okay. I'm going to, I'm going to help you experience and see what you could be grateful for. And I'm going to build you up. And I'm going to not run away when things feel broken down. I'm actually going to stay a part of this. I'm going to help put these blocks back together in your life. I'm going to help move you into a better, more healthy space. People who do this, they give us the courage to not only face ourselves and what we're experiencing, but also point us to a better tomorrow. Absolutely. I like it. There's an aspect of community that's an important one as well because it invites us to see beyond ourselves. It's not just our own challenges or struggles, but we actually get to see beyond ourselves and serve others, love others. One of the antidotes to self-destructive coping is intentionally being kind and engaging with others to get out of our own head, out of our own life, out of our own world. Galatians 5 says it this way. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use that freedom to indulge your flesh. Don't use that freedom to just do whatever it is you crave in the moment. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. It's not just that you can do whatever you want, so go ahead and do it, but use that freedom to say, you know what, instead of just kind of whatever my, my go-to is when I'm stressed out, I'm actually going to turn, I'm going to care for I'm going to serve. I'm going to show up for someone else. So gratitude, community, and awareness is the last thing. Like I said earlier, there's, there's positive and negative coping mechanisms. Some are neutral, uh, and some of them are really, really unhealthy and, and broken. Um, as I was studying this week, there, uh, one psychologist kind of broke it down into two categories. They said that there are problem-focused coping mechanisms, and there's emotion-focused coping mechanisms. And the writer, she put it this way. She said, problem-focused coping is about solving a problem, while emotion-focused coping is about solving a problem. Which, let me say this again, solving versus salving. And I'm not sure salving is a word, but I know what a salve is. That's where you're trying to ease the pain, the, the tension, the frustration, the hurt. You're, you're putting a salve on something that is painful. And so what she's saying is that there's problem-focused uh, coping mechanisms that help us solve the issues, address the issues. And then there's times where we just want to p- just ease the pain. And it's important for us to be aware of what we are doing, of how we are acting, because as we become aware of those tendencies we slip into, it does a few things. Now, one, I think it's important to be able to recognize and feel your feelings, to acknowledge, I feel a certain kind of way right now. I think it's an important thing. We shouldn't live trying to pretend like that doesn't exist. But we also can't just only live in that space. When we're aware of the coping tendencies that we have in these moments, when we have an awareness, we get to choose how we react. I get to say, I'm going to have one handful of peanut butter M&Ms, not all the peanut butter M&Ms. 
I'm going to be frustrated and I'm going to set a timer for 15 minutes and I'm going to just allow myself to be frustrated and when the timer goes off, I'm going to choose how do I move towards solving the problem instead of just feeling the problem. We uh, got our kids video games uh, for Christmas. They got a Nintendo Switch um, and... uh, we knew it was going to be an issue because our younger one has no concept of time. He could literally, and I'm not proud of this, but there's moments where he plays video games for longer periods of time, we'll say. And then it's bedtime, and, and we say, okay, but it's time to turn it off. And he's like, I just turned it on. It's like, no, it's been a long time. It's been hours. You know, this, you've been awake for three days straight playing. No. Uh, and so, but I, in a, a random moment of wisdom, which I don't, I don't have these very often, I also got these red square timers, and each side of the cube has a different amount of time, 5, 15, 30, 60 minutes. And so we gave him the timer with the video game, and we said, these go together. And it's fascinating, and I didn't know if it would work, but legitimately, when the timer goes off, he turns it off and gets up. It is the weirdest thing, and I try not to celebrate it. I try not to talk about it in front of him because I don't want to screw it up. But there's this ability, all of a sudden this timer, he just recognizes this is done, and now I'm going to do the next thing. And we can do Adults can do that too. We can say, yeah, I'm going to give myself some time to be upset to be frustrated, to veg out, to just scroll on Instagram, to watch, you know, Top Chef, whatever it is for you. I'm, I'm going to give myself a moment, but I'm going to set a timer because I don't want to get stuck in this moment. I want to be able to move to something productive. When we are aware of our coping mechanisms, we can give space for them and then move into something more problem-focused and productive. And the second thing is when we are aware we actually can begin to dismiss some of the unhealthy coping mechanisms. I realized through years of counseling that a lot of my coping mechanisms specifically have to do with when I feel a lack of control. And so now I know when I start to kind of want to do certain things, there's this piece of me, it's like, what is it in my life that I feel like I'm not in control of, which is most things. But, but it gives me this sense of being aware of what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing. And for you and for I, when we start to become aware of our coping mechanisms, it's not only just recognizing this is an unhealthy thing for me to do, but it's actually getting to the root and saying, well, who sent you? Why is it that I long for this thing? I heard this person talking earlier this week, this example. They were talking about um, in courtrooms. Have you guys been on jury duties before? Uh, My favorite one was when I got put on a uh, a murder trial the week of Easter, like four years ago. I was like, oh, this is how I want to spend my time this week. So uh, it it was brutal. But this whole jury process where everybody is fingers crossed that they don't get picked Usually what happens if you don't get picked is that the lawyer will say, thank you for your time. You're no longer needed. You can go. And I think that there's a piece for us, for you, for me, as we, as we feel these kind of coping mechanisms come on and, and we start to recognize, man, I've been doing these things and it's actually for unhealthy reasons and now I'm aware of it. We get to say that same thing. We get to say, thank you for your time. You're no longer needed. You can go. There was a time when I was 10 that I needed you, but I don't need you anymore. Now I'm, I'm a grown-up. I'm all grown up. 
I'm going to choose something more healthy, more appropriate. There was a time when I didn't have a support system and, and you were all that I had, but you're no longer needed. You can go. And we get to choose that, but only if we become aware of our actions, the ways that we are coping and trying to bring about a sense of happiness through momentary decisions and experiences. You don't have to choose between ignoring your feelings and indulging your feelings. In fact, happiness comes from acknowledging and accepting your emotions while acting on your values. It's not letting your emotions guide your decisions, your choices. It's acknowledging and feeling them, but continuing to make choices based on your values, based on who you're called to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's, there's clear ways we're called to live and act and believe and, and handle our stuff. And so we get to say, yes, I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm discouraged. Yes, she should have called and made an appointment for her passport three months ago, but she didn't. I know, I'm bringing it back. That's called a callback. Uh, we get to feel those things, and I get to act based on who I want to be and whether or not I want to have a home to return to when I get back from Cancun. I get to choose my decisions on the way back and in a way that allows me to stay true to who I want to and am called to be. We don't have to continue sabotaging our happiness for a few moments of relief or escape. So today, as I want to invite you just to kind of close your eyes and think. I just want to ask you kind of three questions, and I just want you to think about this for a moment now, and then maybe continue considering it this week. What if when you are tempted with your usual coping mechanism this week, you choose to make a list of what you are grateful for, what would that look like? What if when you're aware that those coping mechanisms are starting to kind of bubble up, rise up in your heart or in your mind, what if you choose to acknowledge what you have and you hand over the requests and the frustrations and the stress to your heavenly father and say, you deal with it. I'm gonna be grateful for what I have. What if you focus on solving the problems you can and finding healthy or helpful ways to cope with the ones that you can't? Leaning into community, intentional healthy choices instead of the destructive ones. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.